0: So as I mentioned, we are coming towards uh, the Easter celebration and the Easter event, and um, so over the next few weeks, we're going to zero the meditations of our heart and our minds in on the cross, the grave, and the resurrection. So it's, it's, it's really good and an important thing to do, to take time leading up to that. Some people have a practice that in their Christian experience, this is a season of what they call Lent, or what they, what we call Lent in the Christian Church, and it's a time where people choose to actually help bring discipline, spiritual discipline, to their life. Um, and and you may have come through a tradition where you grew up, or you may still carry that tradition as well, of where you maybe give something up for that season of about 40 days leading up to the the um, the crucifixion event and so in the calendar and so sometimes it's good to do that well this morning um, I want us to spend a little bit of time working on what it means to be a disciple when Jesus says you need to pick up your cross you need to pick up your cross if you're going to follow him so let's pray God, I thank you that you're among us. I thank you that, Holy Spirit, you're causing hearts to come alive to the reality of your great love for us in Jesus. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that even now, as we open the scriptures and as we open our heart and our mind and our life to be radicalized by your love, by your kingdom, I pray that you would bring us into a new space of life in all its fullness. Even as we consider something as grotesque as a cross, in Jesus' name, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> um, recently, uh, it's I've, I've watched my my favorite football team struggle to actually have victories, and. Um, they're only two from five at the moment, the the good old Bronx. But in in the two games that they did win, it was one of those in-extra-time victories. They weren't in the 80 normal 80 minutes of football time that you have to win a game. They had to go to extra time because uh, there was no clear decision on who the winner was. And in those games... Um, in the victories that the Broncos did come home in, and those two games, it was when you talk when they talk with the players afterwards, they talk about well, um, the game was up for the grab, but the ones who actually crossed the line and took the victory, they wanted it more. They use language like that. Those guys wanted it more. They did more to make sure that it happened. Um, they played they used things like they played for each other to make sure that they had victory they were they they didn't want to just do it for themselves they wanted to win for each other they had this great sense of allegiance for each other and for the idea of winning a game together now this morning I wanted I do want to talk about allegiance and I do want to ask how how much do we really want to see a life of fullness of being given to Jesus in our life? Or are we, in many circumstances, just wanting to tinker around on the edges of, of a life with God so that we feel better about our circumstances or ourselves? I do want to ask us, how much more do we want to give ourselves over to the love of God. Now allegiance is about love. Allegiance is about resolve. Allegiance is about devotion. Allegiance is about giving ourselves over to something greater than we could ever be on our own. Allegiance is about giving ourselves over to something greater than we could ever be on our own. Now if you go to the first slide for me, Neil... Um, there's a picture up there of a plaque. Now, you can't read it, but basically that plaque is a memorial, and that memorial is to John Wesley, and in particular, a moment in John Wesley's life. It's, 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 a, it's about a particular moment. And Now, the particular moment, let me just give you a little bit of a background here. In, in 1735, so we're going back a little bit here, in 1735, John Wesley, um, under the sense of God calling him, he decided to take a five-month journey on a boat from England across to the New Americas, and he took this five-month journey, and even on the way in that journey, um, the boat came under duress. I mean, things broke on the boat. But there was this little group of Christians on this boat that Wesley, up until this point, didn't really know much about. Now, this group of people were called the Moravians. Now, these there was two reactions on the boat that Wesley was on as it was going to the New Americas, and it came into storms and things started breaking and masts started breaking and all that sort of crazy carry-on. There was two reactions on the boat there was one group of people on the boat who just started yelling and screaming and like, oh, my God, we're going to die. There was that reaction. And then there was the other reaction. And the other reaction was the Moravians. And what the Moravians did was they huddled together and they started praying and singing to God. These great hymns of who God is, these great songs of declaration about God in all his greatness and his love and his kindness and his forgiving ways. This was not lost on John Wesley. John Wesley saw this. Now, just have a little bit of a think about your current crisis or your latest crisis and your responses to it. Was it the, oh, my God, I'm going to die? Or was it the Moravian way where the Moravians hunkered down with each other and said let's let's talk to our God and let's sing about how amazing he is right in the thick of what is a crisis and of course Wesley got to the new Americas and Wesley went and spoke to the First Nations peoples of the of the new Americas and preached and preached and preached and um, he he found some successes but at the main at, at the end of a 12month period he was basically... Shot up and depressed, and and defeated, and got on a boat back for home. And when he went back home, he he found himself worn out, dejected, and dis- and distressed, somewhat defeated. And then, reluctantly, on the invitation of someone, one evening, he was te- he was invited to attend a meeting where this group of Moravians were meeting in London, in Alders. Aldersgate Lane in London. And when, um, you know, Wesley got there, they were actually, someone was doing a little bit of a teaching out of a preamble that Martin Luther had written about the book of Romans. And so it's a preamble. It doesn't sound like it's particularly exciting or anointed or anything like that. It's like they're working through a preamble of Luther's theology in the lead up to understanding the book of Romans. And it was right there. In that moment where Wesley, worn out, depressed, dejected, after giving himself in service and life, it was right there as he gathered with these Moravian Christians and in the listening to this teaching that all of a sudden he recounts that his heart, he tells his story, he says, my heart became strangely warmed to God. Strangely warmed. I think that's interesting terms. It was like, you know, he was coming alive to the love of God for his life. Eventually, what happened was, this, this, I love it how, you know, reluctantly he went there, and in his reluctance, God caused his heart to come alive to God. Now, this was such a um, dynamic experience for Wesley that. He then travelled to Hernhut in Germany, which is the home of the Moravians and where they came from, and he studied there for a year. He was like, what is it about these people that when there's a storm, when there's a crisis, when there's like hard-hearted people who are reluctantly doing the God thing around them, what is it about these people that makes people come alive to God? So Wesley went and hung out there for a while. Now he was there for about twelve months, as I understand it, and then what happened was he began to get um, some invitations from a guy called George Whitfield. Now George Whitfield was he was a field preacher, so he would go out into the fields and he would just start preaching to people, and the presence of God would fall, and people would come alive to God and come into the kingdom and come into a relationship with God. Now, this was all good, but historically, Wesley was an an Anglican. He was a good Church of England guy. So he was struggling with the fact that we could be doing these things out in the field with no sort of structure around us that the historical church was saying it had to be like. And in the end, Wesley, um, even though he didn't like it, he was drawn up into what God was doing, and he ended up being... um, Given the right foot of fellowship from the church, and um, as he was given the right foot of fellowship, sent on his way, he he got branded and known as as what church history calls as a nonconformist. Ooh, now there's a phrase, a nonconformist. You like that, yes. <laughs> he became a nonconformist. and what which, which is really interesting, because what happened with Wesley, as he encountered with George Whitfield, he started to see a lot of people coming to life. What happened was he then be- founded a whole nother movement called Methodism, which is really interesting, even though he's branded as a nonconformist, he then put into place methods and systems for people to grow in their discipleship with Jesus. And then come and, and lead others into the kingdom of God. It was very interesting. But all of that to say, Wesley once said these famous words. Or that that plaque in is is all about that that moment for Wesley. So if you go and visit that, now you know what that's all about, alright? Um, but Wesley said this: He said, When you set yourself on fire, people love to come and see you burn. In other words, what he's talking about there is he's talking about this, when we give our lives over to the passionate, fiery purposes and love of God for our life, people love to come and see you burn. Wesley's a great illustration of a disciple of Jesus who had a passionate turning point, a turning point. Now, when we're about to open the scriptures, and if you've got your Bible there or your app, open it up to Matthew chapter 16, because as we read this together, you've got to understand, for Jesus, this is a turning point. This is a passionate turning point for Jesus. This is not some just everyday um, discipleship business as usual for Jesus. This is a turning point. And the writers of the Gospels go to great lengths to make sure that you understand Jesus is having a passionate turning point, much like Wesley had at Aldersgate Lane with the Moravians. It was a turning point. And we can see it. Let me read from verse 21. Verse 21. So this is just after. Peter has made the best confession of his life. He's actually made a declaration that you, Jesus, are the son of the living God. And Jesus's response to Peter is, "You are you are so right, mate. You you have got this. You have nailed this. And in fact, on the basis of the rightness of that revelation that you've got, I'm going to build a whole body of people in the world based on that revelation. And you are authorized to help build that um, body of people. And I'll give you all of the authority of heaven and, uh, that I have." For you to exercise that rock-like group of people coming into the earth. So he's got it all right. Jesus has given him a big new beauty. He's conferred on Peter's revelation authority and power. And then comes this moment. So Peter's on a high, all right? Peter's on a high. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now that that word rebuke is not a gentle word. It's a forceful, strong word. And um, have you ever found yourself doing something and you know that you shouldn't be doing it, and someone was good enough around you enough to yell at you and say, stop it, and grab your attention. (laughs) That's what Peter's doing to Jesus. Peter is rebuking Jesus. (laughs) Bold move. But anyway, and then he says, this will never happen to you, Lord. Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me. So he's talking to his disciples, but he's also letting everyone else know that's in earshot. If anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross, his cross, And follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good would it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. That those few verses have got like a whole truckload in there to unpack, but we're only going to touch on a few this morning. And the the the, the first point that we want to pick up on is the fact that the opening four words of that little section there from that time on. So The writer of the Gospels is trying to make a point. He's saying the game is changing now. This is a turning point. This is a point of great delineation. This is a moment of passion. It's a moment of allegiance where Jesus is beginning to give himself over to the greater work of God in establishing the kingdom of God in the earth. And God calls his disciples, all disciples, He's, he even calls you and me as his disciples to come into those moments of delineation, those moments of turning, those moments of, I once was thinking like this, but now I am, I am no longer doing that. I am focused and thinking like thus. Even as the scriptures reveals, this is a critical hinge point for Jesus. Now, some of you, might be living in what you know as or what you might term as I'm living in a critical hinge point in my life right now I'm living on a knife's edge might be a better one a phrase to put with it but I'm living at a critical a critical hinge point can I just say Jesus understands what it means to live in the thick of your critical hinge points your critical hinge moments. Jesus is fully aware, fully cognitive and fully engaged and Jesus actually gives us an illustration and an empowering of how to live through the context of critical hinge points. Um, If you read Matthew, read Mark and the other Gospels, this, this is, you could put a big circle around it and say, this is the John Wesley moment for Jesus. This is the John Wesley moment for Jesus. Where Jesus is now becoming very focused, very given. He's not playing games. He's not meek and mild and lovely Jesus anymore. He is Jesus fully focused, fully given over to the higher purposes of God that his kingdom, rule and reign would break in. And we find that with Jesus' announcement, when he says, from this time on, it's he then goes on and makes a declaration of his personal future. He goes on and makes a declaration about his personal future. I've got to go and deal with this stuff. This is not going to be easy. I'm going to be persecuted. There's going to be suffering involved. People aren't going to like what I have to say. And yet... After they've killed me, I will rise again. And it's a prediction about his personal future. And yet at the same time, he then goes on and invites anyone who wants to call themselves a student of his into a similar experience. He's not saying you have to die his death. You you have to die his death. No, there is only one lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's Jesus. Jesus His cross is his cross. But what he's saying is, if you want to be a student of mine, if you want to be a person who's fully given over to establishing the life of God in the earth, then you need to understand you are going to have to contend with all of the ugly stuff all the time. All the time. You're going to have your own hinge points, You're going to have your own hinge moments and everyone around you as well is having hinge moments because Jesus here begins to reveal that he is on about something so much bigger, more purposeful and more powerful and life-giving than God your job is to make us all feel good and make us happy. Jesus predicts his future and then he says to anyone who would follow him, including you and me, that we too have a future of participating in the hard stuff. In the real sense that Jesus now calls his disciples to a deeper invitation of both living with a heart that is fully alive and aligned to who God is and who God says we are. Now we can no longer plead ignorance with Jesus at this point. We can't plead ignorance with Jesus at this point. We can't say, well, I I, I didn't know Jesus. No, no. From this point on. From this moment forward. From this moment on. We can't plead ignorance. We now know who Jesus is. But the question now becomes for us, will we follow him into the hard hinged points for the sake of the establishment of his kingdom and his glory in the earth and for your freedom and for the freedom of the people that you live among. This is discipleship. Will we go there? It's not a comfortable message. It's, an, it's a passionate message, though. It is the historical account of Jesus where he is busy bringing and declaring and demonstrating that the good news of the kingdom of God is now breaking into the earth. And he now narrows the focus and the intention of the reality of that by seeking to destroy the powers that are holding people in prison. Jesus is very focused right now. And anyone that wants to be a disciple of Jesus or anyone who's even started out on the road of being a disciple of Jesus will realize that we will have to confront powers of darkness. We will have to contend with the reign and rule of Satan. Now, you know, unfortunately, well, on one hand, fortunately, we live in this world where we are really capable and we're really progressive and we're able to do amazing things. In, in medicine, with technology, and all sorts of things. But unfortunately, I think we've got caught up in our own sense of um, how clever we are. And in the process of that, we actually think that we can just, look, you know, we just need to make a few more little improvements and then we'll rid the world of all this junk. That's not what the, the Scriptures are, are articulating. The Scriptures are saying from from Genesis to Revelation, and now where, right now where you and I live, that, that we are in a great spiritual contest. And there is a force at work in the earth that God is seeking to rebuke and to establish his rule and God's rule and reign over those powers once again. And that ultimately, as the, the witness of the Bible tells us, ultimately all of that stuff Will be brought down. It has been, it is being, and it will be brought down. We live in that context. Yes, we can make a few more improvements in different ways and in different places to make people's lives better, more, more improved, but, but we are dealing with a, a dark spiritual force in the earth. And that thing will continue to be busy about it until the Father says, enough. That's where we find ourselves. It's not a comfortable invitation to life, but it is the real picture. It is the real picture. This moment for Jesus is a moment of love intensifying itself and giving itself over to the Father's work, the Father's love, the Father's passion, The Father's power to restore all things to Himself. It's a moment of decision about the nature of radical love for God. Radical love for God. What does this teach us about a kingdom life of passion? Well, a kingdom life, a a kingdom passion is a way of life that's given over to something bigger. It's about joining with who God is and what He's doing. Now, over recent years, I've seen many people in their discipleship journey speak of their moment of decision, their moment of passion, their John Wesley from this point on. I've made declarations like that from this point on. Recently, one of our new pastoral staff here, Karen Jacobs, one of the pastors here at the Vineyard, when she was working through her process of will she give herself over to the callings of God, If you heard her testimony, she said she wrote down this list of pros and cons, of will-eyes and won't-eyes, and in the end she wrote down on this piece of paper, the Holy Spirit is calling me to this, and then she put a big circle around that, and then all of the pros and the cons were irrelevant. They were irrelevant. She gave herself over to what God... God was saying and God was calling her to. She gave herself over to a greater, bigger plan that God was doing and is doing and will do with her life. It's not about the pros and the cons. It's about what's God doing? Well, God is restoring people and calling people into a greater life. Are you at an Aldersgate moment like Wesley? where you're hearing the invitation of God to say come alive to the greater things come alive to the greater life of radical love for God are you hearing the love of God calling you into a life of even greater consequence forget pros and cons if you're living for pros and cons you're not living you're not living you're actually well you're actually existing in the context of captivity God's called you out and into, he's called me out and into, a greater life of purpose and consequence than pros and cons and comfortabilities. Like Wesley, like Karen, so many disciples, they have this moment of from this time on. And there's many of you in this room right now that are at a hinge point where the calling of God is coming over your life right now and revisiting you with, do you remember that when you came before me and you said, God, from this point on, me and my family, me and my money, me and my marriage, me and my children, me and my work ethics, me and you, it's all now for you. I align myself. I give all of who I am to you. I want to be your disciple and you've called me out of this whole underlife of darkness called pros and cons and comfortability. It's a prison and it's a lie. And yet you've called me out of it and into a life with God. Do you remember that moment? Some of you may even be having that moment in this room for the very first time right now hinge points but let me like jesus's experience because he's 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 bearing his cross and he's saying you got to deal with your cross he's not asking you to take on the sin of the world that's his job but he is asking you to take the cross your context and take the liberty and life that god has won for you into your context but know this Peter took him aside and rebuked him and said, Never, Lord, never. This can never happen to you. It will not happen to you. And Jesus turns around to Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. How could Peter? Now, let's be easy on him. Because in Peter, I see myself. And if we're honest enough, we will see ourselves in him. That on the one hand... We can be so gloriously right and get the revelation of God right and and live in the fullness of it. You are the son of the living God. Yes. And within the next breath, place so much mistrust in who Jesus has just made himself known that we actually rob from him his right to be the Lord of our lives. And he says, Jesus turns to him and he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, have you ever noticed that when in response to the invitations of God to become fully alive in him, to become a disciple of his and to join him in the work and the mission and the ministry of the kingdom of God, that all of a sudden it's like hell gets unleashed against you? What? I know a bunch of your stories. That's because it does. That's because the kingdom of darkness will do everything in his reign and in his capacity to make sure that you who were once declared as a rock on this rock of revelation, Peter, you'll build the church. You'll extend the kingdom. Now fall foul of stumbling blocks. The enemy will throw anything and everything, even the words of good well-meaning loving people i mean on the one hand peter's like heck no jesus we don't want you to have to go through that but that's not peter living with the purposes and the plans of god to conquer evil in the earth and break the neck of darkness and set people free that's not that sort of thinking that's the old thinking that Jesus found when he went into the desert after he was baptised and he was confronted by Satan in Luke 4 and he said, if you just do this, Jesus, if you're hungry, just turn that bread, turn that into bread. Just Just bow down and worship me. It's the old enemy himself, yet again, visiting. I have clear recollections from the moment and every moment <laughs> since where I continue to come alive to God and his purposes for my life and I tell people around me, I've told bosses in the past, I've told family members and others to be only confronted with resistance, with words like this, don't be so foolish. Why would you even do such a thing? Don't be such an idiot. Words like, who do you even think you are? Who do you even think you are that God would use someone like you? It was in this moment that Satan also came and visited me with all of the sin and the junk and the addictions and the brokenness that Jesus had set me free from. Where from this time on, I'm no longer like that. I'm like this And, and giving myself over to the lordship of his his power in me to make me a new creation in God. And yet, Satan, he visited me time and still does time and time again to try and disqualify, disconnect, and shut me down from the higher purposes of a life in God for the salvation of the world. You see, I've been saved to partner with God to save the world. Now, right now, there's a bunch of, you know, our old thinking that would go, settle down, mate. Settle down, mate. No, that's settle down, mate. That's not the voice of the Lord. That's not the voice of the Lord. See, you, you and I have been saved in Jesus Christ because God is busy saving the world. He is busy saving the world. But for many of us in this room, we have not... Thank God Ken came with that message a few weeks back. For many of us in this room, we've actually stopped using our authority. And we've stopped telling the enemy to get off and get get move aside. The kingdom of God is coming. And we've settled for, oh, I better just cool it and play calm. And I better just like, no, Satan is busy robbing, killing and destroying every bit of authority that God invested, Jesus invested on Peter in that moment. There is a contest for that authority to be exercised. And Peter goes to, he doesn't exercise his authority in who the Christ is. Peter looks at Jesus and goes, I don't want you to get hurt. Peter's not thinking like God. Peter's thinking like Peter, humble, broken, and and given over and influenced by the thinkings of the enemy. Now, I want to say, many of us, you know, I've been around this place a while. I've been around this place quite a while. and I by the by the goodness of the holy spirit and the power of the holy spirit I will continue to kick the gates of hell when I see him robbing you of your faith in God I I I look at your faces I look at your lives I look at the despondency the misery the brokenness And I, my resolve is to be aligned and given over to that is not of God. And yet we lie down and give over because it's too painful, too hard, and too difficult. But if we want to be followers of Jesus, we must trust Him with our pain. We must trust Him for our families. God's, uh, Satan has robbed. He's robbed so many in this place of their faith in God, of their vision, of calling, of their joy and their purposes. God has robbed your families, uh, not God. Sorry, Satan has robbed your families. He has robbed your children of their faith in Him. He has he has stolen and stolen and stolen again. When will the people of Jesus exercise their authority and tell Him to stop? When? When? When will we stop yielding to the will of the enemy and serving the fleshy needs of our children's brokenness? When? When will someone somewhere hear the turning point of God like Wesley at Aldersgate Lane and say, enough from this time on, from this point on, I live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When will I tell the enemy to stop? and it's enough, and you won't pacify me anymore. Yes, I'm wound up right now, but God help us. We've been robbed. We've been robbed. We've been robbed. And if you think our Father in heaven is okay with that, you don't know your Father. Father. And you don't realize who we are as his dearly loved children. And he says, now take up the cross and follow me into this because I will conquer and break the back of that enemy. Follow me, says Jesus. It won't be easy. It won't be clean. It's hard. But start by exercising the authority that God's given you and stop trying to protect Jesus and just follow him into the fight. Stop trying to make it easy for Jesus. Stop trying to make excuses so that he might look over you and forgive you. Stop it. You're being robbed. And I'm speaking to myself even as much as I'm speaking to you. Please hear me in that. I believe that today is a day where the Holy Spirit is falling on the whole body of Christ. Not just us here, but all over this great nation. He is falling and he is inviting the people of Jesus to realize that today, from this time on, we will follow Jesus. Radical love for Jesus. Because he has saved us. He carried a cross for us that was not ours to carry, but he carried it for us to set us free. So that we might join him in saving the world. And I do want to say this, and I say it without any um, condemnation, but I, I do say it with conviction. Conviction. If we are happy, if we are happy with just being about what we're about and doing it the way we're doing it, if if, if we're happy that ah yeah you know every now and then we see something of God, and, ah yeah whatever, and you know oh, I've given up on my kids and I've stopped praying for this because God doesn't really do that stuff anymore, and I'm despondent and I I can't I say repent, turn around, change your thinking. And give your life to God. Repent. Repent. Turn your thinking to God. From this time on, radical love for God. Yes, we've got crosses that we need to bear and take into the fight. But the good news of Jesus Christ is this that uh, Jesus said, I'll have to go and deal with all this stuff. I will be killed, but on the third day, guess what? I will be raised to life. Death has lost its sting. Death has it's had its power curbed and rebuked. Where is the vision of God in the people of God? Where is the nature of and the outworking of kingdom life and passion in Jesus. Where is the radically intensified love given over in thanksgiving to the greater purposes of God to save the world? It's a moment, it's, innate, it's a decision, and it's a time. Give yourselves over. Give yourselves over to God. Now, I want to just give an opportunity for people to respond uh, to the conversation that they're having in their heart right now to God. I don't want you to respond to me. I want you to respond to the conversation that God's having with you right now. I want to give you an opportunity to say to God, God I'm I'm uh, I'm sorry that I took my eyes off of you and that I've allowed the enemy to rob me and I want I want you to know God that with the help of your spirit from this time on from this time on I'll give myself to your purposes. So let's just pray. Holy Spirit, thank you that um, you've given us the witness of the Scriptures. And I pray, Lord, that for every hinge point in every person that's in this room right now, all of the hinge points, where we know that we are contending for a um, for your kingdom rule and reign in our life and our circumstances. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would just come into every one of those hinge points right now for us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We so welcome you to do in us what you did in Wesley at Aldersgate Lane that night. Would you come? come Holy Spirit have that conversation with us God and Lord where we have um, forgotten who you are when you called us or you might be calling us for the first time today where we've forgotten. Lord, we just say we're sorry. And we ask now, as we turn our eyes, the eyes of our heart, back onto Jesus, that our lives would come alive again. Father we ask that you would um, have mercy on us Lord where we have listened to the lies of the enemy and his stumbling blocks and we've forgotten our true identity in you as sons and daughters of the living God and we've fallen foul of the lies Father would you just have mercy on us and just wash that Wash that away from our heart. Wash that out of our thinking, God. And empower us once again to partner with you, Father God. To follow Jesus from this time on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now there's, I want to just give opportunity here for you to actually exercise the authority you've been given. I can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. I can stand with you. I can remind you, but I can't do it for you. And if you if if you can clearly like you know you can clearly identify where you have been or are currently being robbed by the work of the enemy in your thought life over your over your flesh in your choices in your identity in your marriages in your children just in your workplaces, where, wherever it is, wherever that you know that you've just laid down and let the enemy rob you, bring that to mind right now, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Bring that to mind, and when you've got that to mind, I want can you can you just stand up for me? Can you get, just stand up for me? Because you need you need to exercise your authority that you've been given. Stand up, um, and <clears throat> so what I want you to do is, um, I want to invite you to just close your eyes, and and uh, ho- uh, the Holy Spirit is just going to really um, bring this situation before you and before the Father and Jesus. and where you can see the fingerprints and the work of the enemy all over it. Okay, just let him bring that before you. Now, like Jesus did, exercise your authority. And I don't want you to exercise it like you're, you're, um, I don't know, just... you you need to use the words out loud and you need to rebuke the enemy you need to rebuke the enemy and the words that Jesus used (coughs) were Satan get behind me so when you're ready exercise your authority Just exercise your authority. I can't, I can't hear anything. I'm either going deaf or you're all really nice. You're being nice about it. Come on. More Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit. Come on. Rebuke the enemy and call in the kingdom. Call in the kingdom. Spirit, more Lord. There we go. That's it. That's right. Good on you. Amen. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's right. Every circumstance, every person that's on your heart, every situation right now, rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus. That's it. We rebuke the work of the enemy here in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, one of the little things if you you have ever hear or you've ever watched robbie dawkins minister he always tells people when he when he, he he's equipping them and he says now when you when you're commanding the pain to leave or the demonic to leave or the body to be made well he always says stamp your foot stamp your foot now there's nothing magical about stamping your foot but what it is it's a sign of saying that's it enough enough From this time on, pain, go. Sickness, leave. There we go. Thank you, Jesus. There we go. Thank you, Holy Spirit. There we go. That's true. That's all truth. That's all truth. Jesus, you're wonderful. There we go. Thank you, God. Now, Holy Spirit, would you re-envision us again with what you had done when you first called us? When you first called us, re envision us. Show us again. Show us again, God. Thank you, Lord. There we go. There we go, Bruce. Yes, God. Yes, God. There we go. In Jesus' name. Hello, that's good. <laughs> that's good, Oli. That's good praying, sister. That's it. Exercise your authority, people. This isn't a game. This is this is the this is spiritual power. This is spiritual power. That's it. Jesus is Lord. Come on. Rise up, people of Jesus. Let the Spirit of God fill you. That's it, off the children, yeah, and the grandchildren. That's it. That's it. That's it. No more. That's right. That's right. That's right. No, the children belong to the Lord. In Jesus' name, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hey, church, exercise your authority. You have been granted authority. Jesus gives you authority to contend with this work and call in the rule and reign of God, the higher, greater, more life-giving, loving, fulfilling purposes of God. You've been invited to partner with God in this stuff. We bless you, God. We bless you, God. We bless you, God. We bless you, God. Now, folks, I'm going to, I just, in the name of Jesus, I bless you this week to be about the work of the Father's heart in your life and in the life of the people that you're walking and living among. Be busy about it. And where you see people being robbed, stamp your foot and say, enough, enough, and we call in the higher purposes of the rule and reign of God. And call it in. Ask for the kingdom to come. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Call it in. you got to call it in. Thy kingdom come. Your rule and reign, O God, in this situation. Bring it. We invite it. Enemy, get aside and let it come in Jesus' name. Friends, this week, I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Be the people of Jesus. Be the people of Jesus, fully alive in God, to God, with God, for the greater glory of God and the well-being of others. I bless you in Jesus' name.